Welcome everyone to the cafe. I'm Alex. I'm joined by Costa, Susie, John, and uh, someone we saw hanging out outside by the cars. We thought it looked a little sus. We better bring him in. Dakota, friend of the podcast. Welcome. Hey, Dakota. Hey, how are you? Going good. Going good. So, good. Awesome. Actually, just before we start, can I... I just noticed something else. Uh, someone's name here has a doctor at the start of it. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Susie. I mean, yeah. sorry. Dr. Susie. What's that That's about? Dr. Susie. Thank you very much. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I figured, like, what? I studied 10 years for it. I'm going to use it at least for the first Heck few months. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it. Use it everywhere. Yeah, dude. You're the most... Uh, sorry, if anyone in this um, diner starts choking... We know to call you. <laughs> yeah, I won't put it on airline tickets, right? Like, <laughs> Fantastic. Is anyone I, a doctor? I'm I a... want to find out if uh, more people start holding the door open for you. <laughs> what? 100%. You, you got you to gotta let us know if people start tre- treating you better. Ah, yeah. yep, 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 yep. What's, mm-hmm. um, so give us a little, uh, little background. What's the, for those listening, what's the PhD? You finally got your PhD. Not only did you get a PhD, it was like the highest... Like your your thesis, your uh, no no no. What do you call it when you're at PhD level? Your exegesis? No, that's honors. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Exegesis <laughs> had no Alex. revisions. Yeah, yeah. Just... Um, I was very lucky. Um, so yeah, I got a letter of commendation from the chancellor of the uni that just says like, "Hey, you did a good job." <laughs> and I was like, "Thanks, that's really really cool." So <laughs> I mean. Oh. J- it makes it sound like, yeah, good job, pal. And slap on the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I did hear that people at some unis get a medal for that, and I just got a letter. Oh, so I was a little oh, bit like, hmm, where my medal at? But <laughs> let's, uh, right. let, let's get you a Boolean's medal. Yes. Yeah, we need that. Oh, anyway, that big, big congrats anyway, Dr. Yeah, that's Susanna awesome. Emery. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks. What was your PhD in? I already know, but I'm asking for the audience. (laughs) (laughs) So my PhD was in um, the application of social work theory to games design. And like, although that sounds boring, it's actually not. Well, I would say that. (laughs) (laughs) But what what I got to do is like, um, because we all know, like we play games, we all know that games are really important to how we think about the world and they can teach us new things and what uh, what I looked at was um, social workers are always trying to kind of find new ways to teach new things or show people different experiences or share those ideas. And so I looked at how we can take some of the things that social workers are doing and put them into the design of our games, like through their narrative, but also through like the mechanics and the way that we design those games. So I looked at a thing called social empathy, which is like, um, a special type of empathy that like when you feel it, it makes you want to do stuff about the thing you're feeling empathy for. So like you don't just go, oh, that sucks for that person. You go, oh, that sucks for that person. How can I make the world a better place because of that? And games are really good at doing that for us. So I looked at how we can kind of increase that through using that social work stuff. Yeah, right. Um, Sorry if that was boring. <laughs> Not at all. That's really cool. Did you write Thank that you at the end it. of your uh, exegesis in the last paragraph? <laughs> Sorry in the last, that. kind of. <laughs> in the last paragraph, the very last sentence, I was like, you've read this now. You have the responsibility. <laughs> now I'm making you be socially empathetic. <laughs> uh, oh, I like that. I like That's that. pretty cool. Because then the panel can't come back and like reject it. They no. can't be like, oh, 
Yeah, no, you're not getting your PhD because we don't want to be socially responsible. <laughs> It's a it's a goosebumps choose your own adventure. They're like, oh, I didn't take my thumb off the second page. It didn't happen. <laughs> I'm going back to before I read it. Man. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's awesome. You were you, how long have you been working on that for? Um, five years. Yeah, right. <laughs> so nice. a lot of you probably know about Hannah, um, which was the game that I built as part of mm. my PhD. So Hannah was in development for that long as well. So wow. Um, yeah <laughs> so finally getting those things done is a big big deal to me <laughs> understandably that's listeners awesome. of the podcast can go back in time and uh i think i think you were our second guest second guest yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you made such cool. an impression <laughs> we, yeah. we brought you into the family <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, awesome. that's right dakota this is a test <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pressure yeah, if we don't hear back uh, from you <laughs> if you if you do really well we'll bring you into the cult so you got to have that PhD in five years to yeah. <laughs> oh, Dr. Dakota. Better get oh, started. Dr. Dakota. 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 It sounds like how most people spell my name. You've got to go for the Dr. Suave. Dr. Suave. It sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. I can promise you I am not that, but, you know, I'll take it. I can hear George Michael's careless whispers. Dr. S. Not Dr. B. Uh, all right well we have a couple fun stories for you today starting off with costa costa is our fun story Mm, i'm quite fun Mm. um (laughs) screen victoria uh is rebranding so it's called vic screen now and it's pushing hard for games funding so the government funded agency will now go by vic screen um it's celebrating the rebrand by launching the victorian production fund so the VPF is a $40 million program to bolster film, television, digital games, and online content created in the state. And the program is expected to inject about $130 million per year into the Victorian economy. Uh, it's hoped that the program will create the equivalent of 3,700 full-time jobs over four years. Uh, and VicScreen also has a new $2 million specialist placement program so the program's goal is to find the right people to fill significant skill gaps in the industry so this covers things like production accountants location managers script editors post-production supervisors and interestingly uh, games marketers so yeah both of these are now part of the victorian government's uh vic screen strategy um and yeah well uh some of the yeah some of the comments here from the government themselves they've said you know victoria has been uh, long been home to a vast majority of australia's game developers who each contribute to making our state one of the best and most vibrant places to make games in the world and that was the that was liam esler the managing director at melbourne game developer summerfall studios um, and the transition to vic screen is an exciting step for an organization that has always been a key champion of digital games in australia and recognizes the increasingly important role uh, games play in the screen industry uh, and again this all comes as Australia heads deeper into a hotly contested federal election as well so a lot of promises coming out um, from different parts of the government across uh, Australia promising different things so uh, yeah what's everyone's thoughts I mean you know we're all in South Australia but I, I think it's obviously a good thing that um, Victoria's yep. 
starting to put things uh, in place to support game developers more. Um, there's a, c- a couple of comments on this article where people are kind of against it or saying like, hey, yep, sorry folks, no money for funding this year. You know, we had to replace a lot of sh- stationery and signage maybe next year. So I think some people are skeptical on it, but um, I'm, uh, I'm on the positive. That, that point you made about um, it coinciding with an election, I think it may sound cynical, but I think to me it's a great thing because it means that they think that funding games is going to win them votes, which means they're taking it seriously. Mm. That's which true. Is mm. First time I've ever heard that as an election strategy. Yeah. It's a bold move for them, Cotton. Let's see how it plays <laughs> out. I mean, definitely yeah. not in South Australia. Like, I, I you know. When, when was the last time you heard during an election something uh, mentioned about video games or game development? Like we will very ban rarely. games. Yeah. <laughs> Not since the R18 thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I remember that. Um, I thought, yeah, there's a, there's a few numbers that are interesting. That the um, 3,700 full-time jobs over four years mm. – not to put anyone on the spot, do we know how many jobs exist currently in games in Australia? Like, is that near that number? We could check that Digital Australia report from mm. yeah. last year. Well, so be- I think 33%, the article states 33% um, of all video game developers operating in Australia are based in Melbourne. And that's from the IGEA demographic study in 2019. Because, the, the, like, again, I, like, I, I think this is an awesome thing as well, but my, my most... Cynical, my only cynical thought with this is like um, someone brought this to my attention recently of, you know, like there's a lot of government promises always where they're like, we're going to build this uh, football stadium and it's going to create 7,000 jobs because it will need 7,000 people to build it. But if you're in a town that doesn't have 7,000 carpenters, then you still need to bring people in to do that. And yep. then once that four year thing is over, is over or something like that, do we have the ecosystem to support that work? Yeah. This says that in um, last year, 2021, we had uh, 1,300 full-time employees in Australian game development. Whoa, <laughs> so that's over doubling that amount just yeah. inside of Victoria. Wow. That's full-time employees. So I don't know, maybe the report means one-week casual contracts. <laughs> well, no, yeah. they, they, they said 3,700 full-time jobs over four years. Oh, wow. There you go. It is hoped. It is hoped. It is, is hoped. That's word. the thing. That's Yeah, that's the thing is they always say that. Um, it is hoped I mean, that I'll wake up a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> They'd probably be banking on people coming from overseas then, I take well, it. Well, that's it. And, and, and that's a good thing as long as there's something to then uh, hold people afterwards. Like um, mm. there is something else. There's, a, there's some kind of ecosystem. Um, I mean, well, it could I mean, be patriotic, but I think Australia is a good, pretty good reason to stay in Australia. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I totally sure. agree. But like, if you're a you know, if you're a game developer that mo- or aspiring game developer moves over, and then you do this, and then we're like, yeah, sorry, there's no more uh, water in the well. You're like, oh crap! Now you gotta you gotta go back. You know? Mm. Yeah. Was there any speak about having a plan to retain employees or anything like that? I mean, it's probably early days since they're just saying we're hoping to keep this many people. Mm. But I mean, retaining staff is very mm. important, especially in the industry. <laughs> That's well, a good point because if they have a high turnover rate, they'll hit those numbers easily. Well, in that report, it said there was the $2 million specialist placement program. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Which said find the... Oh, I'm gassy from all this coffee. All this pixel <laughs> coffee. Um, said it would find the right people to fill significant skill gaps in the industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is around... So if you look at the actual strategy, like, 
you flick through it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, all, all of the, <laughs> I just all of the different uh, <laughs> strategies are all around designing. So they're designed to generate compelling Victorian content and IP, drive industry growth and jobs, develop develop skills and talent, and build market and consumer engagement. I find it interesting and, and probably really good that it has generate compelling Victorian content and IP. Yeah, that's um, really cool. And when you flick through it, you do see pictures of moving out in this you know so they, they're putting mm. they're putting games pretty uh you know prominently on this on this document as well as other movies and and you know vfx and that kind of stuff so it is quite prominent and that's the thing as well it's a a screen fun so that that 40 million dollar no the no, the whole program is 40 no the whole program is 190 million or is that something else i've already jumped ahead to no, the program's yeah, hundred and thirty point five million dollars. No, no, that's how much it's going to inject. I'm sorry, I am all over the place. Million. No, You're right the first time, yeah. <laughs> so, like sorry. you said, Alex, we need articles with pictures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just that section stats. highlighted. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what was the point of that? There was. Uh, say what you said again, sorry. <laughs> we need articles with pictures. No, no, before that, that made me say that. Um, Custer, what did you say? <laughs> I said about how moving out and uh, moving out is quite prominently put on there and, and on the oh, documentation. That's it. Is, is, is that $130 million just for video games or is that covering all aspects of screen? Uh, I think it's all aspects of screen. So yeah, because it says you film, television, script. games and online content. Yeah, and some mm. of the jobs that they mention is like script editors. I mean, that that can apply to video games, but location manager, yeah. <laughs> yeah, location yeah. manager. Yeah, unless you're, you know, I, I don't know in what you'd be doing from definitely location <laughs> manager in games, games production. Maybe if it's but, an AR game. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they they do split. You know, if you look at the industry, if you look at the document, they do have shape of the industry, and they do have film and television drama, documentary content, children and young people like content uh, animation post-production digital games screen industry conferences they even you know they they kind of mention a few different things um around you know who they will partner with to try to deliver uh some of this um yeah some of this strategy as well so you know how it says about the federal election coming up Hmm. like does that mean that like like you know how they're saying, like the announcements, the report saying the announcements come as we head into the federal election. Does mm. that, like, do you think that that means that, like, they're implying that the current government in Victoria who did this is going to like have a word to the national government and say, hey, hey, mate, like, people uh, like games, I th- like, it, yeah, yeah, uh, like, what's the relevance of national? Yeah, oh, for a state thing. I mean, it could what, be. Do- I think Do you think that yeah. like economic thing would already be bringing it on their radar? So I mean, I I don't have the stats. I don't know, you know, how big it is, but there is definitely an increasing awareness of how much money games can generate. Uh, and I mean, we've already got you know, reasonably, uh, relatively speaking, we've got pretty good like film industries here in uh, Adelaide and and Victoria. Victoria's doing very well, kind of thing. Um, and so I guess games is coming more on that radar. So I'm guessing you would have kind of the arts, the arts wing, let's say, of the government. Um, probably games are now a bit of a bigger blip on that radar and they're actually taking it more seriously. 
Yeah. Have right, you sorry, heard Pastor about Watt. these video games? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, well, maybe, actually, maybe it's that as well. You know, there's uh, parents there and they go, oh, yeah, actually, these, these games that my kids have been playing. To be honest, we're the generation now where all the gamers are in Parliament. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> They're trying I, I, to get in there, yeah. yeah. I think from That's a, a state point. level, I mean, it's, you, you know, the government at the moment in, in Victoria, I believe it's Labour, it's a Labour-led government. So, you know, heading into the federal election, it might very well be, hey, look at what we did for you at a state level. Imagine what we could do at a federal level. Mm. You know, like some of that rhetoric, yeah. perhaps um, as a way of swinging voters. I wonder who's on the board for these things. Because we were talking to someone recently, in com- you, me and you, Costa, and we were comparing who's on the board for SA games, that was like anything to do with games in SA kind of thing. As in yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the, and then who's on the board. And is it them or Queensland? They actually have like actual people in video games. <laughs> Imagine yeah, that. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As opposed Imagine to who, one. Alex? <laughs> I, I, I can't remember again. I don't look into things. I just repeat things. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, that feels like a, a blow to like most states in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, good. as we'll, we'll discuss later, only no, uh, three right. states have uh, well, game yeah. uh, innovation fund. Not innovation fund. I'm getting myself confused now. They have um, uh, tax incentives for game developers. Yeah, I think that leads perfectly into the next article, which was something that we wanted to sort of mention last week, but we just missed out by like a day or two as we recorded. Mm. Um, but Queensland now has uh, the 15% tax rebate is, is now in effect. So they, the Queensland government launched uh, an expansion to its post-production digital and visual effects offset to include digital games alongside uh, filmmakers working on post-production and post-visual effects within the state. So the rebate was uh, originally slated to come into effect July 2022, uh, but has been launched early in the run-up to the federal election. When the rebate was announced, Queensland Premier said that the 15% rebate for video game projects aims to attract more local, interstate and international game developers and studios to open up shop in Queensland. Um, among the changes is a lowering of the threshold required to access the program and a reduction of the cost barrier of production from 500000 to 250000 And the thinking behind this change is that it will offer a more level playing field for both smaller developers and larger studios alike to access the offset. And Queensland has become the third state in the last two years to announce a tax rebate or offset for game developers. New South Wales uh, announced a 10% offset with a threshold of 500,000 in September this year. Uh, and South Australia announced a 10% rebate with a threshold of 250,000 in June, 2020. Quite interesting. Everyone's sort of following this up. Uh, you know, that SA started in June, 2020, you know, announced. So mm. yeah, everyone's trying to attract the talent across you know the different uh, states yeah, yeah and it's cool right like it's good it's really cool to be attracting these bigger companies mm. but like like 250 dollars a thousand dollars that's still a big chunk for smaller devs like oh, yeah. i feel yeah. like there's a huge gap like that we're missing that's like hey you know make a 250 thousand dollar game with your own ip but like where's the funding to develop that ip to the point where you can go hey look this looks like a 250 thousand dollar game mm. let's put all in right yeah, and, and that's the thing is it's 250,000 cash. Like you can't use like sweat equity or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's not like, in kind, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, honest question though, I like I honestly don't know. Um, in other industries where there's grants like this, is it easier to just present an idea for IP or an invention or something like that that isn't yet prototyped and get the grant money? Or is it kind of similar across industries? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, even in South Australia, we have uh, the, I can't remember what it's called, Alex, you might know it, the, the startup fund. Uh, Innovation the, one? Yeah, it used to be called the uh, Seed Start. I think it's Seed Start. Oh, Seed Start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we still have that. That's uh, the the fixed scholarship, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah, but I think there's there's a component to it where you can get up to maybe $50,000 funding. Um, mm. But an element of that does require you to have, say, a prototype or, you know, memorandum of understanding signed with potential customers and things like that. Um, so you need to have some traction or you need to have some evidence of traction for your company. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, it is there is an option there, you know, for a lower threshold as opposed to having, say, 250000 So there is a bit of a stepping stone. Mm. I feel like with any industry, if you have a prototype or something that people can visualize, it's going to help you just like night and day. If you have something people can actually see or get their hands on to play with, you know, it's going to open up a lot of possibilities. Whereas just talking about something never goes nearly as far. Definitely. definitely. And I mean, it helps filter out a lot of the, let's say, dreamers. And I say that. I am a dreamer naturally, so, so it's my people. Uh, but like I, I know from experience myself and from other people that you know it's really easy to come up with a cool idea, but actually executing it, actually getting it to be a thing in reality, is a whole other. Like, it's not just another skill set; it's like twenty other skill sets. Hundred yeah. percent. I give up on having ideas because every idea I had, every single idea I had was already done or yeah. taken. So yeah. it's the worst feeling. That's um. It's a really good point. Oh, so um, the idea of, you know, how slow Australia just is to adapt to these like far out wacky ideas like video yeah, games. Definitely. They're going to want to see like, all right, we put a lot of faith in this rebate. I want to see the exact paper trail. I want to see why we're funding this. But um, where's the market analysis? Where, yeah. Where's the budget for the market analysis? Was it 50K yeah. or 70K? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is... Yeah. Which is quite interesting when you compare it to, and I'm not bagging this at all, but when you compare it to, say, grants to do with art, um, you know, in different states and things like that. Like, for example, if you were to, you know, you, you could you could apply for um, art grants without having to, you know, there's no commercial viability there. There's no, like, proving that it's it's just exactly. maybe on the and artist. Like film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Like, well, we, we've got awesome art? films, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And we've got like yeah. films, like the, the industry, we make films that like Australian films don't make money, right? Like we know that, but they're great. Like there's some awesome films and they exist in the world and there are, and their value is beyond, mm. yeah. you know, the commercial potential. But for some reason with games, we're still kind of, I feel like they're still saying to us, well, prove it all the time. Like yeah. we can't believe yeah, no, that it true. could be, yeah, that, that it could be valuable without making money. Like... Well, actually, so Dakota, you're originally from Canada, is it? Uh, depending on the day. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was the lucky American born out of my family, but my whole family's Canadian. So I guess it just depends. Okay. So, guess, so you lived in the US then? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I never yep. lived in Canada. So I guess for sensitivity's sake, let's say I'm American. <laughs> okay. And, and what, uh, like what city, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Cleveland, Ohio. You're in Cleveland. Yeah. It's Did a great you place find- to wake up in... Uh, 
grow up and leave. No, it's a great city. It is. It's just no longer for me. I, I, I do <laughs> see that in the main pages. Like, <laughs> things to do in Ohio. Number one, leave. <laughs> so, I mean, Sit in look, a cornfield, play with kids. <laughs> so, look, I, my, I have a question, but the fact that you've come to Australia and are now working in games probably answers the question. I was going to ask is, did, did you feel like Cleveland, culturally, the people in the culture are more... Uh, accepting of video games as a legitimate thing. Well, everyone I grew maybe. up with was absolutely a gamer. Um, I yeah. don't know if that was just circumstantial and obviously led to my interest in working in games, but um, I would say Americans are ride or die gamers. I mean, I would say yeah. they're they're up there. Um, culturally in Cleveland specifically, I uh, can't really say there's anything I would have seen as a flag against it. So I think you'd have just as good a shot there as Australia. Well, Adelaide. Having conversations with um, both Pat Webb and uh, James Marshall about this sort of thing, uh, well, James having said it on the podcast previously, is that because I was asked a question like, why are we so reliant on government funding? Like, um, surely there's other ways. I think James was the one that put it. They said that um, like because Australian investors are just so reluctant to invest in something as far out wackadoo as a video game they would rather you dig a hole in the dirt and yep. hopefully you, you find some shiny rock um whereas or, an american investor is a bit more open to the idea of like one losing their money like taking yeah. a risk and working on something creative so we we're reliant on those government things because and then from conversation with part of him talking to people from the states it sounds like it, and you know this might not be true but it sounds like the states aren't used to having government subsidize a lot of game things or at least fund a lot of game projects. It seems to be that we rely on it basically. Yeah. I haven't personally heard of many, to be honest, um, my limited knowledge of the gaming industry in America. Mm. Um, but I mean, it kind of checks out. They don't have a lot of government subsidy over anything. I mean, look at healthcare for instance. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, honestly, it's not a thing. I I do love my country, but it's, it's the proof is there. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because like, I, I don't know what Japan offers, for example, but the the vibe I get is that, that as a country, they're very much more into games and that, I mean, obviously, you know, we have Nintendo and Sony and all these big names have come from Japan, but like, I would imagine that it would be a lot easier to get investing in your game there just because it's seen as such a legitimate thing. Whereas mm. I think in Australia, it's a stereotype, but we still have like very much the kind of Aussie bloke kind of culture where it's like I don't think it's taken seriously by a, like a large percentage of the population um, yeah and that Which may is, actually yeah. change with generations to put it nicely but I mean we do have a lot of we have investors that invest in tech companies like Australian investors we, we have some quite big VCs in mm. Sydney and, and that kind of stuff but games it's just not you know, there's not, maybe it's just lack of understanding or maybe there's just not a lot of examples that are, you know, at the scale of like Minecraft or something that, that investors mm. from that kind of, yeah, uh, that you point yeah. To. yeah, you know, from that kind of demographic investors that maybe don't look at it as a worthwhile investment or maybe like, you know, that 10 X return or whatever that they're looking for. And, well, and it's high think, risk. High yeah. Risk. Yeah. yeah high well, risk. That's true. That's true. And I think the the VCs, when they, from my understanding, when they fund a video game, they more fund the free to play 
but you end up spending more than a premium. Like they don't fund premium games, like where mm. it's you buy it once and then you're done. They want to fund a ongoing subscription sort of model. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Well, because then the money is not capped, I imagine. Yeah. Because then, you yeah, know, you, you may not pay anything up front, but there might be somebody that spends $500 over the course yeah. of three years. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah, with yeah, most yeah. like console games, it's usually, you know, you spend $60 up front and then maybe a DLC in six months if you're still just all about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of, that's where it ends. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you got <clears throat> Queensland with a 15% for 250,000. You got New South Wales with a 10% for 500,000. And then you have SA with a 10% for 250,000. But that's only for a year, isn't it? They didn't promise the SA rebate longer than a year. And that's another problem that they're facing is that the, is that overseas developers are going, why would I set up shop? Is that, or am I getting Uh, that wrong? I'm not actually sure on the amount of years that that one was around for. I don't think it was. Because there was some reason why the, the grant was kind of broken. Like this this rebate, why it wasn't going to work. Like they, like having conversations with people, they said this. They, I, th- I think it was because, I think it had something to do with that, that they were like, they, they've they said here's 250,000, but they won't guarantee it won't last longer than a year. So people going, why would I open up a yeah. studio to only have to move yeah, it again? It's a big commitment, isn't it? If it's not. Yeah. I'm sorry. This podcast no, that, is sorry. That, Alex says stuff, and then everyone else has to look it it's, up. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite funny because when you look up the, uh, well, this is just classic South Australia, but you look up the, you know, the announcement when they, when we did the announcement back in 2020, and half the people being quoted on the, uh, on the uh, article is like, you know, BAE Systems Shipbuilding Managing Director, <laughs> like. Talking about virtual reality and 3D visual, like that's not yeah. games, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, but you know, that's just yeah, classic, classic SA gamified military, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it, this raises another question. Um, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on is that all right, let's say they make a grant, and like, I'll, whether this one is fantastic or not, um, I can't say, but um, let's say it's a step in the right direction, but it's not great. Uh, how should we, as a video games industry, kind of respond to that? Um, should we, like, what, is it more effective for us to kind of go back and say, nah, look, that's that's not going to cut it. We need more if you want to take this seriously. Or or do we accept it and kind of try and make it work and then try and step it up next time around? Like, I think it's proving, isn't it? Like, taking what's offered. Uh, unfortunately, you can't bite the hand that feeds. Like, as much as it would be nice to say hey, 10, 15% is not enough. Um, I think you kind of have to roll with it and mm. hopefully industry vets can come out and take that and make something great and then show mm. them that there's much more money to be had. Yeah, that would yeah. be awesome. Like, was a w- Sorry, it on. is one of those things, I, like, again, I'm just speculating, but I, I do wonder, we're talking about how, you know, a lot of other industries and a lot of other people are kind of cautious of games that don't take it seriously. But then, like, let's say they do go out of their way uh, to put together a, a grant like this and then kind of they they kind of get it thrown back in their face i'm i'm just playing devil's advocate here i could imagine them going yeah look all right those game people they're not thankful they don't they don't know how this grant thing works uh we can't deal with them in a business sense um i don't know but i just i just wonder yeah what is the best way for us to kind of uh react to these grants to actually kind of then build towards a sustainable grant ecosystem. 
Uh, yeah. Has anyone mean, made a game called Devil's Advocate? <laughs> well, I guess we are now. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing now. Play like Devil's Advocate. Yeah. That'd be a great, um, like, Cards Against Humanity expansion. Yeah, Devil's Advocate. Um, if the, if the I, issue is that there isn't a lot of viable uh, projects and that kind of stuff, then then maybe it is a um, a situation where, it you know, there, there needs to be education at some level. Uh, you know, there needs to be programs maybe, you know, sp- sponsored by government that assist with... Uh, finding mentors, you know, educating or, you know, making, improving the projects that are, that are out there or upskilling people um, that are looking to, to do that. I mean, I, I guess it's just having a pulse on what is going on in the industry and finding out what the problems are. I think that's just the starting point. Like we can speculate all we want, but, you know, unless you get those people that are looking for funding in the room mm. uh, with the people that are giving funding out, like that's, that's the, the first step i think and then yeah just go from there and it sounds like that's what they're trying to like yeah with the the chats that the sa game community had with um that's right yeah Igea and stuff like that because yeah on on the on the outside philosophically you have a black and a white statement right you either have no funding or we're going to give you a if you spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars, we're going to give you a a rebate um, and if there's no effort to find a gray area to go like, like you, I think you said it like just before you were like, um, I don't remember how you said it, but the idea of it being scalable, right? Like, you know, just say they get close to this thing wrapping up and there's no companies and someone's like, look, I can prove I spent $50,000. 10% of that is still just $5,000. You're going to spend some of that or they're just going to be like, no, nah, this was the deal. Like, is yeah. there going to be any and, effort for a gray area? And is that going to sound like, oh, look, we tried putting money into games, but nobody was interested. And then is that yeah. going to close it off for the future too? That's a worry. Well, yeah. maybe, their, maybe their thought is higher production usually means higher output or a higher chance of a higher output. Like if you're investing two hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 in a game, mm. it's more likely to have a larger, I guess, audience you know, because you would have done market analysis and stuff. There's enough to it. But, you know, if it was one solo developer for a year, let's say 50, 60K, mm. you know, there's a chance. Or there's also the chance that it's just their best friends playing to be supportive, which yeah, know, it's fantastic, but also I'm, I'm sure a terrible thought for them as well. Yeah. The time and effort into it. And yeah, I think it should be scalable, but I think that would be their sort of mode of thinking. Just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, Again, definitely. We have, to, yeah. we have to make that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also that idea, of, which is um, something I mentioned in the uh, like game developer Discord was going on, is just that like when they're writing this, they're not thinking that everyone in the games industry in Adelaide wants to be a um, indie developer. You know, mm. some people just want to go uh, be a 3D modeler for. Ubisoft or something like that. Mm. So I think this is more to benefit them. It goes, we'll bring the Ubisoft over here so you don't have to go over there. We don't lose you. Mm. And then like, it's just providing that canopy to. Yeah. Having bigger studios like is always going to be good, right? Because it'll build an infrastructure and a community and. Their meetups would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Not that they're not now, but oh my God, imagine. They are amazing. Yeah, well, imagine that Dakota and John, like you just like at an event shooting this shit with like a a music producer or something from um, a sound designer, I should say, from like Ubisoft or something like that. They're just there and like man, they would be lucky to be there talking to Dakota. <laughs> yeah, this oh, is and, true. And to the white no, this is true. Don't, don't you do that? No, you. <laughs> no, oh. you. 
Exactly. Have you met Dakota? Dakota. Every time I see Dakota, I have to remind him he's. You, well, the both of you are in my game and chill Spotify playlist, and like, <laughs> oh, man, every time my one listener, you are my one listener. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> How many followers no, does the playlist you. have? Oh, look, I, I don't think it's a public playlist. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, there you go. It is the one. Then. <laughs> yeah, it's just me. It's not scalable. It's not scalable. Um, but no. Were, were you my 600 listeners last year, Alex? <laughs> Maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't know how. Like. I'm sure they, they're Spotify are smarter than just letting a a song loop and just being like, oh, <laughs> it accrued this many things. But because I've got a, a playlist, it's called Game and Chill, and and uh, I got another one as well. And I got a YouTube one as well. I think yours, John, exists on the YouTube one. And um, yeah, the amount of times that just loops through, and like it's 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 weird because the the music from both of you is like so well produced that i forget like i know that i'm friends with the people who made it like not to say that anyone i'd be friends with wouldn't make something that good but it just sounds like so like good you know and then i'm like i know these people it's just like all right well, let's move on because i'm blushing now so. yeah we're also not sponsoring this podcast but thank you alex oh, everyone look them up uh, hey, just quickly before we move on i did have one more one more thing to mention about these last two articles. So mm. it's a little annoying that they have to point. I mean, it's an obvious thing, but they have to point to the fact that there's a longly awaited federal election going on. Mm-hmm. To me, it just sounds like a risk that it's a bit of a cop out. I, I don't want to yeah. be a cynic about it, but to me, it sounds like there's, they're sort of already preempting that it could be pulled, which is a concern. But yeah, just wanted to raise that. I, I mm. hope it's not the case, but mm. I don't like when people point to that because then they're sort of saying, ah, oh, you know, yeah. it's a good excuse to be a terrible person. <laughs> no, no, look, it's a good point, though, because I think a lot of people are already feeling burnt by the whole kind of, let's say, ecosystem and grants and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's reasonable, but I think we do also have to be careful to not be cynical of everything that comes mm. our way, because otherwise we won't move anywhere. Mm. No, very true. I, I agree with that. Just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Don't okay. invite me over to play that game. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get Devil's Advocate funded and then we'll show everyone. <laughs> Just letting you know, April Fool's Day might be coming up. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should so do that. Um, all right. So there's just more funding going on, isn't it? Yeah, this has been a, this has definitely been a fortnight for funding. And this, so, you know, there's rain dances. There's the live bullying. There's a Cafe Bullions podcast. If you put a Cafe Bullions podcast out the next day, Someone will announce some kind of funding or some big drop opportunity. So if you're listening in the future, how about that big news that got announced on Tuesday, huh? <laughs> how wild was that? Um, we'll cover it in 13 days. Um, so another one is IGEA welcomes Screen Australia's Games Expansion Pack, which I love the title of that. That that at least sounds like they spoke to a game developer. It's like, what should we call it? The Expansion Pack, you know, every gamify everything. Um, so this is, this is an Australia wide, um, funding. I don't have the article in front of me. I got notes that I took from it, but basically, sorry, here it is. It's a screen Australia initiative to help Australian game studios increase the ambition and quality of their digital games and to transition into businesses of scale that can better compete in the global market. Screen Australia will provide production funding to successful applicants in the form of a grant towards the financing of their game. 
The fund is aimed at games with development budgets below $500,000. The initiative will run for the 2021, 22, 2022 to 2023 financial years. Higher budget games are likely to be able to receive the Australian government support through the announced digital games tax offset intended to be operational from 1 July 2022. Um, you can't apply for it. Well, you, you can do anything you want. They won't accept you if your game is intended, uh, not intended for the general public, such as a game to be used by a company for training purposes. I thought of a way around this. Why don't you just put the training simulator out on Steam and then in six months time, no, oh no, in your workplace, be like, uh, everyone go home and play this game. If you want to work on this um, oil rig, just download this Steam Oil game. rig simulator. Oil rig simulator. <laughs> 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 that would probably sell in Australia, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the Gina Reinhardt oil simulator. No, she's coal. No, I don't know what she is. Something. We Some don't kind want of it. <laughs> we don't want it. Whatever it is for it. Um, you also can't, if games are substantially advertising or promotions, um, gambling or gambling simulations. So, sorry, EA. Um, and games that in the reasonable opinion of Screen Australia, may have difficulties receiving an Australian classification. So, sorry, Hotline Miami 2. Um, yeah, so, yeah, again, it's another... It's oh, all these fundings. What are we going to do with all this money? Um, <laughs> Scrooge McDuckett. Just, yeah, just, just, just start swimming in it. <laughs> just swimming it. Um, yeah, so it runs until the 2023, end of 2023 financial year. So I guess it's open now. Um, one thing that I saw that that's in it is that it seems like it's for studios who are pitching to grow their studio and increase the quality of their games, which to me makes it seem, one, you would probably need to have a game under your belt already. Um, and two, like I'm talking about when you actually apply for this and you're writing this down in your pitch, you'd have to prove that you're going to grow your studio. Um that's what I that's what I take from that sentence that says what did it say it said uh, studios increase the ambition and quality of quality of their digital games so it's like oh I've made games but I could make them better if I had this um, also listed in it was so they'll, they'll give out a maximum of $150,000 per grant and um, yeah as I said, it has to be below $500,000, but at which point you go for one of those tax offsets, I guess. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Kind, of, it's kind of aimed at like a, a gap in between uh, the big digital games tax offset as well, which is a federal, yeah. uh, I, th I believe it's a yeah, federal one. Um, yeah. 30% refundable tax offset for eligible businesses that spend a minimum of 500000 on qualifying Australian games expenditure from July 1st, 2022. Um, and that is actually, the government is providing $1.2 billion over six years uh, for the digital econo economy strategy to support Australia to be leading digital economy and society by 2030. Wait, what, sorry, what by 2030? Uh, for Australia to be like a, a leading digital economy and society by 2030. Whoa. That is ambition. Good. Yeah. 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 That's a money big, money big everywhere. Yeah. Tax, Let's do it. tax offsets everywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. And again, games with gambling elements or that, yeah, it cannot obtain a 
yeah. Well, it's yeah, good that they're being cognizant of that. Mm. It is, I'm, that is I'm pretty sure it is gambling like digital gambling banned in Australia because I know I'm pretty sure you can't play online poker in Australia really? anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't read that, but I had a friend who will go unnamed who was playing online poker <laughs> for a <laughs> long time, uh, almost professionally, um, until they cut it off. I'm pretty sure. And I, well, I think what they said was because a lot of the players are overseas and a lot of our players aren't that good, so all, all our money goes overseas. Oh, oh. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that would you be... suck too hard, so you can't play. <laughs> <laughs> we, that... we need to open up a poker academy and then we can yeah. unban it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that'd be interesting if you can't play, if it's banned here. Because governments love pokies in... Uh, I know it's yeah. a different thing. It's a pokey machine, that's not different. a poker that's all, game. That's all within Australia. Highly Sorry, this political. is totally tangential to what we're talking about. <laughs> Highly political. Well, no, but it just it, wouldn't it, exist without tangents. It, 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 opens, it opens an interesting uh, conversation. I, I know it kind of says gambling or gambling simulations, but we've spoken previously and, and even the government around like loot boxes and things like that. Mm. And I wonder if that comes into consideration when... Uh, pitching for this kind of stuff. Wonder well, EA if they... got fined 10 million euros for FIFA a couple of years ago because of the loot box ultimate... system. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, you know what I mean? And that, like it's to some element, you, you know, there is a gambling element to it. Um, and I wonder if, yeah, that's something that is looked at or if it's just, you know, here's Poker Simulator. Of course, it's going to be gambling. Mm. Not yeah. I know a few games have moved to the actually showing you what the likelihood of getting any sort of rarity object is. Mm. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a solution, but it's the right direction. I mean, it's did microtransactions it, are there, agree, but at least yeah. you know what you're in for. Yeah, if you want to spend $50 on something, you know, more power to you. And if you don't get it, you can't be mad. <laughs> yeah, Mind you, yeah. though, I'm pretty sure pokies legally have to do that too. Because uh, I, I remember playing on one and you, I think they all have like a menu or something that... If you press the right buttons, you can find it, and it tells you the <laughs> percentages <laughs> of everything. And it's oh, like right. it's ridiculously low. It's like uh, I, I can't remember the actual percentages, but it's like if you if you saw that, you'd you wouldn't touch a pokey again. Mm. But it's like it's like the bottom item on the menu and all that kind of thing. And it's yeah, hard to get. Yeah. To. I still don't really play it to myself. Like I'm not I'm not a gambler, but I I understand why people do it. You know, dopamine is great, but also yeah. <laughs> how do you control yourself if you know, the odds are against you and you don't want them to be. I don't know. I have mm. some sympathy for that. Mm. We were speaking to, um, Costa and I spoke to Celia Hoden uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, who was the UX designer on Fortnite. And um, I- I'm like shoehorning this into this because I've been thinking about this like nonstop since, since we talked to her. But um, I asked the question, I said the question, I was like, Basically, I stumbled over myself so much trying to ask it. But I said, like, you know, Fortnite's always in the news because of gaming addiction with kids. Um, as a UX developer, does that mean, like, job well done? Like, your UX was that good, you kept them in a loop forever? And she's like, no. She's like, if basically, if you're, like, if you're a good UX developer... Like UX goes beyond the game. It goes how the game incorporates into their life. It extends to the marketing. Um, There's ethics. There's just ethics. Yeah. Yeah. And that has stuck with me for like all week. I've been thinking about that, about the idea that like, 
like a, res- a like the idea of a responsible UX developer <laughs> and there's there's so many books out there on ethics for UX design and Celia is trying to work uh, she mentioned this in the podcast but I think her and a bunch of other people are also trying to come up with an uh, an ethics framework for games um That's I'm so not cool. sh- which that's I great. think we is called. That. That's for sure. Yeah. And if I, you think about it, like right. no one no one goes into becoming a designer, like UX game or otherwise, thinking they want to exploit people. Like mm. right? We well, all want to I'm pretty sure she said that exact work. thing on the podcast oh, really? as well. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to it earlier today. That's almost word for word. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, right. I got to listen to this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she, and she she came from a psychology background as well. Um, well, so that's she, if you're doing that on purpose, then you know there's something. If you're if you're doing and designing dark patterns, you know that um, stop people from leaving or uh, discourage people, from, you know, make people feel bad about not playing. Then yeah, you're doing something wrong. You're you're acting unethically, and you shouldn't. Uh, you know the company if they were working ethically shouldn't tolerate that we'll take yeah. what you're designing it, also, it yeah. also makes sense from like i guess an economic standpoint in that let's say someone gets really addicted to your game and they play it heaps yeah that's awesome up until the point where they realize they've got an addiction and they have to stop playing games altogether mm-hmm. i mean what what you'd rather is someone who wants to play your games throughout their lifetime and then tells all their friends that it's great and they still feel healthy and all that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a a really good designer, um, which I've mentioned before, Mike Montero, Montero, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but there's a whole book on this called Ruined by Design and essentially uh, pitches the idea of having uh, an oath that designers should take, you know, UX designers and even, say, game designers. Um, And if you act against it, kind of like a doctor, you know, you, you... take the Hippocratic Oath and, uh, you know, you mentioned that you won't do anything to, ha- you won't do anything to harm people or any of your patients. So it's kind of like a similar um, idea there to not design anything that will harm others and be negative in a way. Um, the the website. <laughs> yeah. well, actually, I mean, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but like if you look at people, uh, pubs or bars and things like that, you know, they need their liquor license. Which I guess I, I don't know all the rules with that, but I'm assuming it has something to do with if you notice someone's completely inebriated, you have to cut them off. Um, or if and if you don't, age. if you keep yeah. having people getting absolutely, uh, I can't remember how much we can swear on this, absolutely shit faced um, every week, uh, you probably lose your liquor license, I'd imagine. Yeah. So I don't know if there's not that we sh- need the direct equivalent in games, but it is an interesting concept that you have. <laughs> You need the equivalent to go, uh, John, how about a glass of water? (laughs) And then, John, would you like uh, some peanuts? And then it's a firm hand on the chest. John, I have warned you twice now. (laughs) Isn't it like when Netflix used to do the, oh, it seems that you've been watching for a long time. Why why don't you take a break for 15 minutes? (laughs) How passive aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, I know. (laughs) And the screen goes black and you see your reflection in the screen. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like... All the crumbs on your, your stomach, yeah, like right. just in disgust. <laughs> I just go, here's a chance to refill my chip bowl. That's a lot of <laughs> Yeah, oh, there you go. Opportunist. I like I that. Love that. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a picture I saw on Reddit, I think it was, of someone playing a Nintendo DS game. And it was like, 
the screen went black between a cutscene, and when it goes black, it shows your reflection. But on Nintendo DS, you're holding it like down, and so like all your double chins are out and everything. You see up your nostrils, <laughs> and it was like I was totally immersed in this world until I saw that, and it's completely immersion breaking. <laughs> the first time I saw a game do that was um, uh, the Spider-Man One movie game, and like the last line in that game is "Go outside and play." I was like, they tell me what to do. But then at the same time, like, I got nothing else to do now. I finished the game. <laughs> but that's that's when you get to unlock the cool stuff. Yeah. Hey, just quickly on this funding article, it's interesting down the oh, bottom. Right. It says terms of funding. <laughs> it says terms of funding. So at least 90% of the grant must be spent on development. Hmm. And mm. uh, successful applicants can elect to allocate up to 10% of the grant amount to marketing activities. That's That's kind of interesting because you'd think... Marketing is sort of, we know how important it is, especially in gaming. Um, why would they cap you? You know, if it's in their interest to give you the funding. I don't know. A couple thoughts spring to mind just based off of what you just said. And, and the first thing that jumped to mind is, and spe- let's say speaking of gambling addiction, is I would, I would say maybe, <laughs> ah, you know what? They probably didn't think of this, but... Um, Buying ads on social media does kind of evoke some kind of gambling in the actual, I feel like, I'm not saying they're not doing this for gambling reasons, but I think you can eat because, okay, so if they say the maximum they're going to offer is 150 grand and 10% can go to marketing. So if you were creme de la creme and you got the 150 grand and you put 15 grand in marketing, you could, you could blow that entire budget on Facebook in like 15 weeks uh, at a moderate pace, spending a thousand dollars a week, that this there is a gambling thing as well, which is why I'm seeing a lot of marketers actually kind of starting to turn away from Facebook because they're not seeing the results because it's they're they're pay to win. Mar- Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing, it's all pay to win now. You need the bigger, like you know, your page could have uh ten thousand followers, and statistically, I think it's something like I don't know, one in four who follow you won't see your posts because Facebook determines, it doesn't matter that the person opted in to see what you wanted to see. They will decide if you want to actually see that. That's why there's now the next step with like YouTube. And they're like, not only do you have to subscribe, you now have to ding the bell um, because they're still going to decide, you know, you, you type stuff in your search results and like six things will show up and then they'll go, Hey, how about other stuff as well? Just to keep you, you know, on the platform. So, the idea of marketing on the marketer's side is still addictive of like trying to chase those like. So I would say maybe it's easy to blow that. Um, I think well, yeah, I'm like a marketing yeah. budget has no end where like at least with a development budget, you kind of, you, you milestone things out. You're like, I need to work for this long. I need yeah. to employ this amount of people until the money runs out. I think marketing, it's such a, it's just like gambling. Pin. There's no way of telling if it was a success or not. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Like if you put, 135k of your budget towards marketing and you only spent 15k on development yeah how successful it, is that really gonna be yeah i mean you could build a game for 25k and then say that i spent 250k traveling around trying to pitch the publishers in different countries and you know what i mean like yeah. you could you could, yeah yeah and i'm I mean, sorry costa the, uh, politicians try that and they get in deep shit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the initiative does say, you know, increase the ambition and quality of digital games, but then it also adds to transition into businesses of scale 
that can better compete in the global market. To me, that statement seems like the split should maybe be like 80-20 or something between the development and marketing. I mean, it's really up to the... Um, I would say it's up to developers, but I, I guess they, they, they're capping it so they want to make sure that the majority of it goes into the development and increasing the quality. Not that pumping more money equals... Well, in most cases probably does, equals better quality, but, you know... There's a diminishing return somewhere, surely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought 20% was sort of where it would sit. I, I don't know why, but that's just, yeah, where my that, head's yeah. at. That definitely sounds like the sequel to... Uh, Devil's Advocate, Devil's Advocate 2, Diminishing Returns. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I love that so much. Please. We're doing All right, this. how about this? If we don't make this a game, uh, Dakota and I will make an album called Devil's Advocate 2, Diminishing Returns. <laughs> diminishing Returns. <laughs> I will call you up on that. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Alex is doing vocals on that. Oh, yeah. Yes. It has to be like less and less. Like each song has to be less and less like resolved. Yeah. Start at five minutes and then four and a half, then down to like twenty seconds. (laughs) Let's spend a hundred bucks making it and twenty thousand dollars marketing. Oh, just a question on that. Does it say anything with the grant? Are you allowed to then get further funding? Um, Because when you're talking about the marketing budget, um, it makes me think of like people who would maybe take it and then go to Kickstarter or something mm. like that and spend all the money trying to market it and not have an actual game kind of ready. Good point. I haven't seen a limitation in the article. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it has, to, it has to be, it has to meet proof of concept requirements. So oh, Okay, cool. So, um, so it can't be the room, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has to be, there has to be something there like a prototype. Uh, it says here, a playable prototype or an animated gameplay trailer. So, yeah, and, and there needs to be, yeah, I, I think that some of the assessment criteria is around the viability of the marketing and release plans. So, um, and the potential for the games to contribute to the scale and sustainability, uh, yeah, sustainability of the applicant. So, it probably has to indicate that uh, the, probably, the game probably has to have some kind of launch window or launch plans, uh, you know, for it to be uh, granted. Mm. I imagine the application is probably quite in depth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if anyone's interested, there is a webinar on the website that we'll, we can link in this uh, in this episode's description as well. Yeah. Okay. All right, moving on. Um, this one comes kind of courtesy of James Marshall on the AGD Discord. He shared it in there, and then I stole it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a Unity gaming report for 2022. Um, so I haven't actually looked it up. I'm, I'm assuming Unity puts these gaming reports out every year. So it's basically, it's um, gaming statistics, <clears throat> I think from 2021 to 2022, aimed at the Unity platform. So overall gaming statistics, but how they relate back to um, Unity developers. And it's a, I can't remember how many pages, it's like, it's like a 40 page report. But we're talking big text, graphics, images. Um, Good, images. That's what we want. Yeah. Well, that's the report I thought of when you were like, we need need more images on this. Um, That helped. That kept my attention. Um, But I'll just read out some stats that I thought are pretty interesting. Um, So 93% 93 increase in games made on the Unity platform within the last year. So it's nearly double the amount of games made over the year before and 31% of these were new creators 
So these people who have never made a game before are now putting a game out. Um, the pandemic raised gaming revenue by 30%. Um, and it looks like, uh, based off of one of the graphs, they showed that both console and mobile got that bump. Um, but the console one seemed to receive a, a bigger bump. I had my theories on that based on like everyone already had mobile phones, mobile games are free. So there's like, they're like free to play at least. So they're not going to see the big, a bigger revenue bump. Whereas, you know, if you're a console gamer, you have to then buy the console and I don't know, maybe, maybe it was something like that, but both of them saw a 30% revenue bump. Um, surprising stat. This is a real surprising stat. And, um, this one actually made me think of, um, of uh, you, Susie, and um, the like, the digital media class and stuff like that is um, more players are watching ads. Um, uh, up to four point three percent of does it like four? No, I think it's up by four point three percent or something like that. But more people are watching ads, and ads are actually improving retention. Um, so you know, you would think. If you put games in your ads, it's going to, people are going to stop playing it, but it's defining it's not. Um, it's improving the retention because they're using them as in-game rewards. So watch this ad and you will get an extra few lives in, in something or other. Um, okay. But I thought that was real interesting is because the, um, the idea of ads nowadays is like you know we have to use now use social media influencers and stuff like that if if people know that they're seeing a traditional ad they drop off straight away they don't care what you're selling they you know well that's not true if if you're selling something very convincing then it's cool but um yeah just that idea that you know that it's actually not only people are clicking on them and it's increasing uh retention well echoing what you said before i mean you had mentioned that you have to have the biggest, baddest advertisement to compete. I'm wondering if people are just getting mm. really innovative because they don't have a choice. Oh, 100%. That's a good point. Or people yeah. don't have anything to do because it's the pandemic. So why not watch it? <laughs> <laughs> it's literally yeah. how I bought this, this shirt, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's one of those terrible Instagram ads and you're just like, yeah, I'll buy that. It's fine. Fresh hoods. <laughs> I have nothing better to do. <laughs> I want one. I want one of those. And like, I hate ads. Like I do a thing where like, if I see an ad, I'm like, I'll avoid buying that product. Because I'm like, don't tell me what to do, right? <laughs> and I'm so like, rebellious. you should be paying. Yeah, we're like the opposite. <laughs> but I'm like, you should be paying me if you're you're advertising to me, like, right? Yeah, it's not yeah, a service. Yeah. Like, you know, you should be paying me. Like, you know, when you buy something and Google reviews, like, do you want to leave a review? I'm like, no, not unless you pay me for my time, right? But I'm wondering, like, with this, if you're playing a game and they're like, oh, if you watch the ad, I'll give you a shiny penny. Am I like? I, I would probably be like, sweet, all right. Like I'm getting paid to do this. Like, even though I'm not really, like I would feel maybe as though I am and be more willing to engage with it. Yeah. So you, when you said um, Google review, you just reminded me of this um, tweet that um, we retweeted on the on the live bullying channel. That was amazing. It's, it's not really to do with this, but it's to do with this. <laughs> so someone, so uh, at Ross Simmons said, got to love the guy that spends... 700 plus hours playing cricket 2022 on steam and leaves a negative review it's akin to a restaurant review saying i've been to your place 20 times and every time i went the food sucked one out of five see you next tuesday (laughs) speaks volumes for the person hey i thought that was amazing i was like crying laughing yeah wow it's pretty great um but yeah um hyper casual games in-app purchases went up 162 percent 
Oh, just quickly on that, mm. like, can, can we talk about accessibility? Because I have my um, my monitor in like iSaver mode, and I cannot understand the color difference. And I am not colorblind. Like that graph. Oh, the <laughs> it's pink. Like they're all just orange and pink, and like yeah. there's no variation. It's really hard to like. It is, I can tell which ones are mid core. Hmm. You can't find what? Sorry. Oh, I can tell which one is mid-core, but like the yeah, hardcore casual yeah, yeah. and hyper-casual, they're all like the same to me. So fun fact about accessibility on the internet is um, if it's an image, they there is no rules. Um, so, you know, don't make things an image, but... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, um, which is really dumb. The only accessibility rules around image is don't put text in an image. Which um, they've already broken. Yeah, they've done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a. They've broken the cardinal rule. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn it, Unity. Get some programmers. Um, <laughs> so yeah, hypercapital games, in-app purchases up 162%. Role-playing saw a 5% decrease, which was interesting. They didn't Ooh. highlight that, but that is on the chart. Um, Role-playing games saw a 5% decrease. Um, in 2021, over half of all Americans played multiplayer games. It's an interesting split. 60, 62% of... Wait a minute, those numbers don't make sense. Oh no no no! It does make sense. It's not it's not it's not saying of older gamers. Sorry. Okay. So in 2021, over half of all Americans played multiplayer games. That was 62% of men and 50% of women. I was like, that's not 100%. But they're not saying that. Um, yeah, very interesting report. I definitely encourage all game. It's aimed at game developers, especially ones using the Unity platform. Um, I wonder if Unreal puts one out. That'd be interesting. And more multi. Did you? Yeah, that multi-platform. Uh, 200% I think that one yeah. that's crazy more developers doing uh, multi-platform doing multi-platform uh, games oh. which is awesome yeah 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 and it just adds to the sentiment of like doesn't matter really these days the platform and ex- exclusivity and all that kind of stuff it's more just get one it out wherever th- you can one thing I'm kicking myself forgetting to ask Celia and I had it written down and I completely forgot to ask was that was the idea of because that because Fortnite is renowned for the same basic experience from everything from, you know, PlayStation, from PC to mobile. It's like you can, it's that same experience. And not only that, on the developer side, it's the same package. They just branch it out when they're, when it's, you know, when they're packaging the game, it branches out into these different sections. I oh, I'm kicking myself that I never got to well, ask you. Like, I mean, if you're thinking from a user interface perspective, there is some there's some pretty cool videos online. I think actually Celia maybe even speaking about it, about the the experience and how it changes from a mobile to a console, um, but retains kind of the same feeling. The game feel is kind of the same, and the you know the different elements and mechanics are still there. Uh, mm. But just different ways of displaying it on on a console or a PC versus uh, a mobile. I think that's kind of like a interesting uh, emerging field. Really, it's like these these uh, these games that are now multi platform and how you can modify and uh, augment the user interface for it to work across different platforms. That's quite mm. it's quite interesting actually. And that's really that, that's a really interesting thing because like um. Like I find controllers like big for my hands and I have a lot of trouble. If there's any like trigger stuff, I suck, right? So it's really hard for me to aim. So like FPS is basically out. But I recently started playing the Call of Duty mobile game, right? And and it's like it's I can do it because it's like yeah. it's it's limited to your phone. So like well it's the same mm. idea with the aiming. It's less less movement and less kind of 
I guess, like space required of your hands mm. to move, that's actually manageable. So How even when you've it? got those. Sorry, sorry, sorry go on. Oh, it's no, 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 got, um, so it's got like little, um, like fake, kind of like, you know, like uh, Angry Birds and stuff where it had like the joysticks at the bottom and you move your thumb to do mm-hmm. it. Um, and you, yeah, you've got the two, the two sides left and right. So one's your camera and one's your, your move. And then you can sure. tap to, to shoot or you tap above to change weapons. To aim. Is there an aim as well? Is there like a crosshairs icon to aim and then... Yeah. Well, there's like two different methods of aiming in it. So there's like one where it just shoots when you basically point at a person. So like an auto. Yeah. And then there's a, another version that I'm learning to use at the moment where you um, you basically you you tap with one finger and you aim with the other. Mm-hmm. Does it use so like accelerometer? Cool got... Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I can't get my head around that. Uh, what was that, Alex? Uh, the accelerometer. Oh, you know, yeah. like the DS user it with like, yeah. help link aim with the accelerometer and oh, the yeah. switch does it. I can't get my head around it, but <clears throat> people swear by it. They're like, I can't not use it. They love the yeah. fun. To- I always yeah. turn it off as well. But I think it's one of those things, once you get used to it and you can get pretty quick with it. Yeah, <laughs> if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, did, did you guys see uh, Ava's Manor there on... Page 35. Mm. Oh, the Unity one. Yeah. Now you're doing it now. I mean, here they say it's by You Can Games, um, but we know that they weren't the only ones that worked on it. You should say what? Say that again? Uh, in the report, it says Ava's Manor was by You, you Can Games, I think, but oh. Mighty, Kingdom, Mighty Kingdom worked largely yeah. on that, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Can, yeah. I don't know if You can, can was maybe the publisher or something. Publisher or something, yeah, I'm not too sure. Hmm. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Interesting. Um, yeah, another thing with the, with the mobile gaming that would be interesting is that, you know, watching how uh, Super Mario Odyssey was developed for Switch makes you go that, oh, like the mobile gamers, people who play on the go, let's say, not just mobile gamers, um, uh, they require different things. As in, like, so, you know, Mario games traditionally have had 120 stars you collect. That one had, I think it was like a thousand and it was moons, but they changed aspects of that game um, based on mobile players. So, um, so like once you collected a moon, you get shot out of the level and you restart the whole process like it's traditional with Mario games. It was like you collect it and then you move on because you don't have that time. And also they made half, like so many of the moons were just like five minute, just go to that real high spot on the platform and collect it. And then they had ones that that was for people, they said like playing on the bus that don't have long. Mm -hmm. And then there's the more intricate puzzle type ones that are for if you're at home on the couch and you're playing it. So there's that like, you know, if you see more of an emergent of these cross platform kind of games, um, that's just super exciting because it just leads yeah. to different game design ideas with different audiences which yeah. you know are more receptive to different kinds of experiences as well I started yeah. playing RuneScape again I'm probably going to get cancelled for this but <laughs> 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 I started playing that again and they came out with mobile and I could not believe how well done it was because you can literally have your account on you know the, the platform the, the PC client and literally log out and log into your mobile and it's just there. 
I, I thought wow. that like that blew my mind. Yeah. You know, growing yeah. up playing that game, I was like, oh, what's a bit of nostalgia for some dopamine? I want to feel happy, <laughs> and I did. And then I was like, I'm gonna get addicted to this. I need to stop. <laughs> what's that? What's that track that they love in uh, the, the pirate track? What's it called? Pirate something two. Um, it's like became a meme of like how popular. I'm gonna look that up. Pirate track RuneScape. <laughs> What is it? Are you asking me to see Sea Shanty 2. Sea Shanty 2. Oh, yes, yes. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, like, everyone loves that one. Um, There's a that's lot of cool. trap remixes of RuneScape now. It's like, oh when do people God. get so savage? <laughs> it's, it's, it's RuneScape. It's like, you know, <laughs> medieval times. and <laughs> Oh, they all grew up, but now... <laughs> it's a scary world. <laughs> but yeah, um, definitely encourage people to read that gaming report. Um, a lot of really good stuff in here. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool and big pictures that are not accessible. That always helps, doesn't it, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> big pictures help so much. All right, so now we're shooting it over to John. Yes, so um, I want to talk about a concept that comes from a video that I've stolen from Susanna. <laughs> so Susanna actually shared a video with us, uh, actually originally just between us to discuss. Uh, off air uh, and this video was uh, I think it was called emotional abuse at indie studios or an investigation into emotional abuse at certain indie studios this was by people make games if you look them up on YouTube uh, they're I guess games journalists so uh, now they did look into a few specific studios and examples there that's not what I want to kind of talk about today you can go watch that video if you want to look at the specifics but they brought up a really interesting point at the end of the video, which was about um, the concept of being an auteur, auteur, I think is how you say it, um, which is the French word for author. Um, but it's basically the word you might have heard around when, you know, you have a visionary director of a movie or a visionary, you know, uh, creative lead of a video game or whatever industry it's in. And it's something uh, that, sorry, I'll just pause there. Uh, can you guys hear that cat at the moment? I did. That was a very you impressive did. kitty. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm going to pause. Everyone wait there for one sec. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know John had a cat. We had a rabbit in our backyard earlier. I was so keen. Now I've got a kitty. <laughs> Aww. Was it a wild rabbit or like a pet? Yeah, yeah. And which is funny because I'm right on the main road, but you know what happens in the hills. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We had koalas in the trees next to my house as well. We named him Bernard. <laughs> he was a beast. <laughs> Koala. Yeah. Oh my god. That's cool. that amazing. Oh, oh we is. have a kitty on screen. Ooh, it makes kitty. exactly like Jonesy. You make a sale? Alex, you <laughs> better you better pixelate this kitty. <laughs> <laughs> we need a we do need a Bullions Cafe cat. Oh my <laughs> god. What's the uh, cat's name? <laughs> What's the name? I don't think you can hear us. Oh John can't hear us. Kathy says, now you have to say, I am not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. I'll cut that to make it short. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't. Everything fine. stays in. We do it live. <laughs> okay, no worries. Uh, we need audience, to know what the cat's name is. We need to know. Yes. So, is it Jonesy? So, this is, is Spud. Spud is... Spud, uh, yes. Spud. Spud's the nickname. Um, her full name is Potato. Um, Potato. <laughs> she, she's my partner's cat. Um... Uh, she is a female ginger, which is apparently very uh, rare, and she uh, likes oh, video games. Oh, I can hear it meow. 
She, yeah, you guys can hear that. I love it. I love anyway, it. It's cool. That's the latest guest on Live Bullions. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, well Spud, star of the show. Yeah, Spud is now a member. What's I it? love her. Come forever, Spud. <laughs> <laughs> we need a. We need like a Spud's corner or a Spud's corner. Yes, yeah, Spud's <laughs> corner. Oh my god! All the featured animals from all the Bullions can. Uh, yeah. Hang out that <laughs> that's corner. Right. That's what. <laughs> Yeah, because Alex, you got you've got the picture of butters on your back wall there, don't you? I do. Those are the paws behind me, and then oh, I think that's the, adorable. there's the there's a the little illustration of her, and then that's the photo of her with the Coke bottle. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, rip, rip. So if you hear a cat, that that is Spud in the background. Spud. Anyway, thank you, Spud. <laughs> I'll go back to uh, <laughs> indie studios and emotional abuse now. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so th- this is a very, very interesting video. Um, check it out. But what I wanted to talk about is authors, authors, the the kind of... We, we've got this culture around having a strong creative lead on a video game project, and it's it's often uh, seen as a really cool thing. Um, but I think it comes with its own pros and cons. And I, and I legitimately mean that. I don't mean like, all right, let's look at all the bad things. I think there are good things and bad things there. Um, and one of the things that the video kind of points out is that often these kind of strong creative people who uh, like to take control of everything, regardless of whether, you know, the market likes the result or not, often they kind of push their team into uh, real hard positions. Mm. Um, so I guess I wanted to open that up for discussion to you guys. Um, what are your thoughts on, I guess, almost our love for the creative lead and especially in the indie world i think where there's been these indie success stories of this one person or this really small team who's kind of done this amazing thing is it is it healthy i have an example but it's not in games so if anyone has games first you you yeah well, you have to I, would, I was just gonna add like i i i agree with um it was an interesting point that the uh author of the video uh mention how they might be really good working as a solo developer but they might not be people person you know they're not someone who can that has great social skills or they're not people that uh can manage a team they're not people that can you know communicate well with others and work well with others and that's really this is the extreme of of that of you know of the manifestation of that where uh, people who may have made a game or worked really well in in a certain position have gone out and uh, tried to work in a in a team or manage a team, and it's just not the role that they're meant to be in. There, there should be someone else to be in that role. Um, they they're probably really good at what they do when they're in that their specific role, but yeah, it, I think it's just you know sometimes we have limitations or sometimes we 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 just need to. Sp- stick to what we're really good at and let other people who are better at other things do do that job it's a it's a point yeah um and like you know if you're if you're a person who like is like maybe not set up for that then and you've got an idea for a game then like make it yourself maybe maybe it's not meant to be a game made with other people Hmm. yeah yeah and i especially feel creatives in this industry you know, not creatives in this industry. I think everyone who works in this industry is some form of creative are very susceptible to these sort of things um, of, you know, people taking advantage, 
wanting to follow a vision. And it's something something I've wrestled with because even outside of the games industry, maybe you, Dakota and John, you've had something similar with this, but I know this is big in the music industry as in like with bands, let's say not, not so much in the, in the worlds that you're in as um, solo musicians, but you know, favorite bands of mine, you know, you, you look at documentaries and stuff and they're all, everyone in the band is like, I still have a nervous twitch to this day because of the lead. Um, but the album then, you know, saves people's lives it because it forced them to get it out of it and it's a it's something i've wrestled with because it's like a um uh what's the word where that has no answer um rhetorical it's like rhetorical. Yeah, yeah it's kind of rhetorical right? was that a rhetorical <laughs> question or- <laughs> 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 but, the, but the idea of um you know what's what's worth like uh, you know, like what's worth more, like one life or a hundred lives kind of thing, right? And that's yeah. I mean it's rhetorical because obviously, but like, you know, if you put um, one person through stress, but you saved a hundred people, I'm, I'm seeing it from the perspective, like it's such a weird stance I'm taking right now. It's not, a, it's not my stance. I should say that mm-hmm. it's not my stance, but it's something I've had to wrestle with because I think anyone who enjoys a lot of um, art, whether it's music or video games, have enjoyed the results of a lot of torture from the team that made it because it wasn't just one person who made it and it, and you know the bottom line is like there was there would have been a more sustainable way to make this yeah but that's, yeah that's the yeah. question isn't it it's it's whether it had to be that way and mm, yeah, in yeah, most definitely. cases yeah. it probably didn't have to no. um there probably was ways to mediate and you know mitigate and and that kind of stuff uh i don't think that i don't think you know there's this thing we glorify like exactly what you're mentioning of like the more pain you go through throughout the process the better creatively it'll be yeah i don't think that's i don't think no, that's the case it's almost like reverse it's almost like reverse imposter syndrome because yeah. you know imposter syndrome is there to say oh you know is this going to be good enough do i deserve this but then there's the opposite side where it's like you go too far one direction. You're just like, I am the best in the world forever. I am the Tay-Tay of everything. <laughs> and like, how, how do you get to that point? And how do you not have the self-awareness to bring yourself back and sort of check yourself and say, we shouldn't do this to people because they're doing really good work and I shouldn't treat them that way. I mean, I, I don't understand how someone can have that lack of self-awareness mm-hmm. and accountability. Well, yeah, I, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Have you guys heard of survivorship bias? Um, so there's a concept called survivorship bias and kind of the metaphor they use I think is a real one actually but it came from World War II where basically a a team was tasked at looking at the airplanes like the fighter jets that came back uh, from the war and see basically all right, how can we reinforce them to make sure more survive and so they got these planes back and they saw that there were all these bullet holes in certain places and so the conventional logic is all right, we need to reinforce those places to stop them from getting shot uh but then someone on this bright team went well actually these are the planes that made it back it's uh the planes <laughs> the other spot so any anywhere where there's not oh. bullet holes is basically where we should reinforce because anywhere they got that hit there they didn't they didn't make it back and and so the whole thing is that when we're looking at success stories we're not actually seeing the whole story we're only seeing basically the story as told by the lucky few who were successful and so this may be partly a case of 
you know, where not not all the games. I know there's a lot of games that come out that are made in healthy situations, um, but mm. you know, some sometimes there are teams who have a lot of sacrifice to an unhealthy level, and that does mean they come out with a, I guess, a quality product. Um, not that it's necessary, but they do, um, and then they're one of the survivors. They're one of the games that actually make it. And so then we hear, you know, what does it take to make a good game? And they go, well, it's blood, sweat, and tears kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's probably also another 99% of teams that have also had that same sacrifice and the game went nowhere <laughs> that we haven't heard yeah. about. It's very true. It's very true. It's, that's it. Like that author, the visionary lead of a project, it's, it's the project. An aspect of the project is the product. Yeah. But it's not the project. Another like another aspect is the team itself. Like just because you're a visionary at making a game, like I was like if 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 I was to hire someone, right? I was have this like number in my head, this kind of like equation that I've never properly figured out. It's like a rough kind of thing. But it's to say like if you were hireable, you would need to um, fit the three categories. It's probably more, but let's just say three to make it easy of skill. Um, uh, how well people can get personality so how well you can get along people are going to work with you and um, willingness to learn mm-hmm. and adapt mm-hmm. and skill counts for 50% but we're talking university grades where you need a 60% to pass so you could be the best at this one aspect like you could be the best not only are you the best programmer <laughs> at JavaScript let's say you came up with the language it is yours but you have 0% in personality and you have 0% of the willingness to learn. So everyone at work dreads to come near you, dreads to come to work and um, you're so stubborn that we go, cool, yeah, okay, yeah, part of this is JavaScript, but we also have to incorporate all this other stuff and they go, nah, this is what I want to do. You aren't useful to anyone. You're useful to yourself and wish you all the best in making your own project, but you can't work in a team. You need those other aspects. Like being the best in one area isn't good enough. You, you need these other aspects like you need to be people don't need to dread coming to work to sit next to you um you'll sacrifice their quality if it also means that they're willing to learn like they're on the like okay yeah your javascript skills aren't that great but you will take the time to learn and you are such a good person that we will make up that difference like there's a willingness in there yeah you know you know another thing sorry costa you go Oh no! I was just going to add. There's a, there's a really cool. Um, I've seen a job ad before, uh, from I think from Basecamp, the company. I think it's from them. Um, and every time they put up a job, they basically write in the job description, like we're not looking for rock stars. You know what I mean? Like we don't yeah. want people who are that essentially like really good and think they're the best and you know like i'll do everything myself like you they want team players they don't you know yeah. and they and i just love how they say that because it's like yeah you don't well, exa- no one exactly. wants them as, as even though they're really good that that term rock stars was exactly what i was gonna say because it's or ninjas it's happening well. that's yeah, no that's right yeah. ninja code no but rock stars because it's happening in the video game industry like we don't have actual rock stars anymore um, rock stars kind of went away with the 80s and early 90s and then told me to throw away my Creed CD that was doing right now I'm <laughs> no, so triggered no, you can enjoy the music <laughs> was it someone will catch it with arms wide open <laughs> it, it, it oh made... no <laughs> no beautiful uh, no but honestly so like we don't have actual rock stars so much anymore we've got 
then there was the the Silicon Valley tech gurus, which were the next rock stars, uh, and that's kind of starting to die down a bit. But we're definitely seeing it in the video game industry where you have rock star personalities. Um, and there's whether whether it's even the person themselves or not, uh, people like to kind of build up their mythology around them because I think mm. again coming back to the indie developer kind of idea, it's we we want to believe that you know this one person kind of was able to kind of make that perfect game themselves because if they could do it then you know I could do it too myself um, yeah. but then but then there's the danger you know that being that rockstar auteur is fantastic for the for that person but it's not fantastic necessarily for everyone around them so um, what well, yeah you almost need a, good, a reality check on that I think I don't know if, if anyone's read masters of doom that's a really cool book mm. um, and it yeah it goes into depth around like id tech and how that was formed and um, John Romero uh, John Carmack and John Romero was very well, they were both very much like rock stars in the yeah, industry yeah. in the 90s and John Romero like it's just a classic example of um, the, the level he went to of, of being a rock star and playing into that personas you know he created his own company after id tech and kind of spun off and he uh you know raised hundreds of millions of dollars and built this studio mm. and then it just tanked hardcore because they just it. did not put out a great game and he couldn't work with people and all these issues like that and just put goes to show like it doesn't mean anything if you're a rock star in that industry yeah right. so what do you think it is so i guess going back to your um, equation, Alex. You, you you said that it was sort of a lack of personality. I think that that caused it, or is it maybe just a lack of being able to work with people? But what what causes that? Like, what do you think causes that? You know, inability um, to work with others. I think it's it's. Um, I I think it comes from. Um, being around people, being able to sniff out the crap. Oh, that sounds so wrong. That just derailed everything I just wow. said. Um, no, it, it, <laughs> Sorry, did you say sniff out the crap or sniff out the crack? Either the way. <laughs> sniff out the crack. No, it's, it's an ability to go <coughs> to know what your... Sorry. <coughs> to know what your limit is, as in what you can get away with exploiting people. Because... A lot of people who are doing the exploiting a lot of times aren't the ones who are actually making because they've gotten used to exploiting so they can get other people to do it. Um, so Why does I think this it, sound like an episode of Mythic Quest? Like, just like- <laughs> <laughs> That show is so good. Love that show. Um, yeah, it, it, exa- yeah, exactly. It's like the person, like, you know, not that this is all situations, but definitely it feels like... Um, you get used to you get you have to you kind of justify your existence if you're good at you know telling people what to do, but you lack that personality that um that empathy to go what does it actually feel like to be told what to do and to to be told what you do isn't good enough. If you lack that and you just know if I tell people to keep doing stuff, they're going to keep doing it. Then that's all it takes. And then it's it, I would imagine it's harder to you know come back to reality where those people around you dread coming into work and things like that because you're getting results because you're not looking at, you're going, well, you know, if, if their goal was to be here, um, then like to, to work for a successful company, this is how we make a successful company is, is by, by doing these things. Um, Do you yeah, think there's an it, element as well of a lot of the people who kind of get into positions of power in the games industry haven't had a lot of experience kind of 
either working or working in a managerial role, um, especially again at indie studios because a lot of them would be it's a very good very point. young, uh, young young both age, but probably more so young in the industry. That's a very good point. I mean, because like you know how they say the idea of what management is is has been changing for the last decade. So traditionally, it's top down management, mm. and that's meant to stem from the army. Um, because everyone kind of who, I guess it's to do with post World War One, World War Two kind of thing when they return to normal life and get jobs, that kind of leadership goes with it. I tell the, I, I don't forgive me anyone listening who knows armies, but I don't. So lieutenant tells the captain, captain tells the sergeant or whatever the sergeant tells the corporals stuff like that. But now it's a what do they call it? Costa, what do they call it now? It's not top level management. It's like. Flat level uh, management yeah, flat, or even level flat structure. Flat structure where you know the the corporal could tell the lieutenant actually you're why don't you do this why don't you think about it like this you know um like but either even the wrong way was based on some kind of training is what I'm gonna say is like even the wrong top down level management had people who tr- came from traditional management could at least kind of, and again, not, not defending it because it's proving to not work and we're seeing alternate forms of management come out, but it, they at least had some experience of people. But as you said, um, you're talking about people who want to make a game or make a art project and are now put in a position of leadership. And it's, I mean, is it, is it, is, would it be fair to say that like, you know, if you're working on a game, you're creatively minded. So the way you take in the world is going to be different than a lot of other people. So, you, you know, it's it's definitely, you're, you're, you're dealing with people who aren't traditionally used to, and probably in, yeah. in other circumstances wouldn't be put in these positions of management or positions of power. But not yeah. to say that and- people can't get into that and position and uh, grow and evolve into learning yeah, how to manage. Mm. It's probably like you've mentioned, Alex, like willingness to learn and adapt. And, you know, maybe it's like a thing of taking on feedback and uh, accept, yeah, accepting, crit- you know, critique from others. Like if you're in that rock star mentality, you think you're, you know, you might think you're the best. You might not uh, take on you might not want to learn new things. Uh, you might not take on, you know, when people critique you and, and feedback and critical feedback and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's probably, I don't think maybe it's like around being creatively minded. It's probably the attitude. I've, yeah. And I think it's being uh, positioning yourself around people who just agree with you and you're used to getting agreed with. So to get not get agreed with, like I've had some amazing managers and the managers I've had who have been amazing are the ones that, well, for many, amongst many reasons is you wouldn't, you know, that you can question them, not openly as in like, oh, that's a bad idea, but like you, you could, they could suggest something and you can go, well, like, cause a manager isn't supposed to be across, it's supposed to be across everything, but isn't meant to know how to do everyone's job. Yeah, Which I yeah, think is another thing. Because you're the specialist. Exactly, yeah. I think that's what a lot of these auteurs want to do is they want their hand yeah. to be across everything and they're not. Like if, if you were a good manager, you would hire the best person for that job and they and the best and manager I've had a, and trust them. Yeah, they're exactly, exactly. That's it, trust. Auteurs, these ones that they're talking about, the ones who are, you know, um, tormenting their teams, don't trust their teams. They go, only I can do this. 
Yeah. I can imagine there's micromanagement as well, which is probably the worst type. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody wants to work for a micromanager. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Do, do you think um, that part of it comes from a fear that if, if it's not like that strong centralized vision that I guess the vision will be diluted and then there, therefore it'll become a less cohesive game? Do you think there's any truth to that fear? Yeah, you, there's probably some element of that of say someone being the lead designer or lead on a project and especially when it's their it was their initial idea it's probably uh letting go a bit or letting go of like control like can they want to control it you know what i mean they want to control how it is and how it feels and everything because it's their idea but mm. there's a right way and a wrong way to do that it's you know you can't if you're trying to build a team around you for a game that you're working on or that a game that you started you're essentially opening that up to it not just being you mm. but if you're coming mm. from an experience of where you've initially made you know you maybe you made a game on your own it, there's two different things there and you have to be open to other people's opinions yeah well i guess maybe vision and guarding your vision is part of it like mm. uh, how many times have you tried to explain something that you can see perfectly clear in your head but yeah. the minute you start opening your mouth, you're like, I am butchering this. This is yeah. not what I see in my uh-huh. head. And Have you listened to me on Cafe Bullions before? <laughs> <laughs> Everything it, I say, I fuck it, up. It's, it's I funny. <laughs> I mean, there's been games that I've really liked and uh, games and music and all sorts of things where I've kind of like really been into that one person or yeah, pretty much it's usually one person that is the huge creative lead behind it. And then the more I read about the story the more i find out it wasn't just them and it was actually a whole lot of people contributing and all that and it's always it's messy and there's enough people that it's hard to kind of credit them all (laughs) and all that kind of thing and so it's it's kind of like i think we almost fall into this trap of kind of putting all the credit on that one person just because it's the easiest way to kind of Mm. think about it yeah it's a really it's a what's a really valuable skill and it's definitely something that i've seen in um in management, I've read in biographies and things like that, is um, empowering someone to feel like they came up with the idea. And that's not to say as in like you're, you're, they're not contributing and you're like, oh yeah, you came up with that kind of thing. The idea of, you know, if, if you know, you have an idea of where something go want, is, is to go and then you kind of talk about it with someone else or a team or something like that, and then they agree, but take it further or something like that. The idea to be able to let go of your ego and go, oh man, that's a, that's a great idea. You know, like, mm. like, um, I can, you know, I, I, I can design a fucking, uh, a buttered sandwich. Right. But if Costa goes, oh, you know, it'd be great putting ham in there or putting, putting cheese in there or something like that. Right. And then I go, oh man, Costa, remember that amazing sandwich idea you had or something like that. Like the power to go. I started this. This was my idea, but in reality, my idea would have been nothing without the team. The idea, let go of your ego and say, "Yeah, it's it's, it's empowering." It's a- yeah, like your team and being a leader. You know, a lot of that is, uh, yeah, empowering your teammates or empowering your employees versus telling them what to do. You know, mm-hmm. you, you hire these people who are, say, in the context of games, like highly specialized in certain areas. Like, I'm not going to come into your, you know, if. If we're in a team, Alex, and you're working on 3D, I'm not going to come in and say it has to 
you have to use this technique to do this and that. It's it's your I'm supposed to empower you to solve the problem, uh, mm. you know, for the for the rest for the project. Mm. Do you think it's power for the wrong reasons? Like some people just want it because they want to puff their chest out. Whereas I don't know, I, I just value really empathetic leaders. And I just, I think mm. that maybe culture is shifting that way, that people want to work for people that actually care about the people and not the product because, mm. well, okay, no, 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 wrong, wrong way to put it. The people and the product, because mm. without the people, there's no product. Yep. Mm. So, yeah. And people are always more important than things, right? Like 100%. Um, no matter yeah. how great this there's things. no circumstance. Especially when people Except find maybe water, because then there's no people without water. <laughs> that, that would be that's the exception, not the rule. <laughs> Especially when people find out, though, like, oh, what's the example? Was it Nicholas Sparks, the author of all the romance novels? Um, few, uh, so he wrote like The Notebook, I think it was, and Atonement, and all these other books that got turned into oh, movies. He, he is like the <laughs> he's the romance guy. Anyway, a few years ago, he got divorced, <laughs> and everyone goes, "Oh, okay." <laughs> So it's oh. like if, if you're if you're playing a game and it's like moved you because it's about caring about people or something like that, and then you find out that the team that made it wasn't cared for, it kind of ru- it ruins the product. Then, mm. like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven got a lot of flack for that, didn't they? Like the amount yeah. of crunch and everything they had to go through for that, um, and it kind of showed in the finished result, um, which is yeah. a shame. Obviously, after patches and stuff, not so much, but yeah. Um, it's That's a, a good point. Very complex. Quality, very complex. Quality and care always outputs a better result. I think no matter what, I don't think there's any shortcutting that. Well, again, in the long term as well, I think you know there's a difference. You know, if you burn everyone out, you might get one good product, but at least if you've got that sustainable studio going, then you can kind of keep building. But so, then you've got money and fame and all the important things. Oh, right, that's true. <laughs> I mean, what, what more could you yeah. want? I mean, that's the thing. If Even if you had a studio and you had an endless budget, if you're not treating your employees correctly or oh, right, right, you know, they're going to keep yeah. leaving. Like, it, it yeah. doesn't matter. Oh, it, it doesn't matter how much money you have or what vision you have. Uh, they'll keep leaving in droves because they don't like yeah. the working conditions, especially mm-hmm. when there's other opportunities out there that are better. It's now true. more than ever, too. People don't have the patience to deal with it. They're calling it like the great resignation yeah. right now because yeah. it's very much an employee's market. That's right. So employers better really start taking the right precautions and taking care of their people. It, yeah. It's good it's coming out a bit more, though, as well, because I think one of the one of the kind of uh, traps is that with that rock star personality, even if people leave, if it's not out there that, you know, they've been treated like crap, then people go, oh, yeah, I really want to work for them. And so people just keep coming back, kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas at least it's if it's exposed a bit more, um, and if it it's based on like legitimate, you know, concerns about yeah. the company, then yeah, there, there's yeah, it's dangerous. Isn't that interesting? How like one of the best things that happen, that come out of social media was accountability. Yeah. Be like yeah. inventing the subwoofer and and people being like, it's great. It gets all the rats out and like the bass <laughs> disturbs them. <laughs> like that's not what I made it for. <laughs> That's a really good point. I've got to try that sometime. But yeah, definitely worth looking at that video. Yeah. All these things, of course, as always, we cost a pops a link in there for. He's our guy. Susanna, you you got something to tell us about. Um, Yeah, but it's late. Let's do it next time. (laughs) (laughs) No. 
my god, it is not bedtime. Eight fifty-four p.m. This has been a oh wow, we've been well. Chat. I'm like nine years old. All right. Well, if you're being serious, let's build the hype. Let's build the hype for next time, where Susanna's going to drop a bombshell about the industry. Build that hype. Um, uh, while we're at it, I guess we should cover the, um, last, uh, oh my God, it is late. I can't, community poll. That's the word. Quickly cover the community right, poll. So let's blaze through it. We, this is kind of related to what we were just talking about. Um, we were talking about the, the, the poll was how do you deal with criticism in the game industry? Um, how do you deal with criticism in the game industry bonus? Oh yeah, right. That's fine. So yeah. How do you deal with um oh my god i should have pre-checked this there's a lot of content um we're, cause we're also asking about how uh, you know that's actually worth mentioning as well we asked what some great initiatives you've heard to support um ukraine because we had the games bundle and things like that uh so uh chef Pardum artifacts dev um posted a lot and said if you've got an urge to send clothes and non-medicinal items to support families in the ukraine don't the absolute insane amount of work that needs to be done on a logistical level will just cause harm especially when it comes to transport the best thing we can do now is send money to organizations that can use the money on site um, local stores over there will have more business and will have a better time if products are being sold over there rather than free stuff um and yeah that's definitely something that's just happened in, in like in general like I think in Africa, there's illegal markets that get formed over um, old clothes, things in America about semi-trailers in warehouses just off of St. Vincent de Paul, clothing. Um, it's something like 30% of clothes you donate actually get reused. The rest ends up in landfill again. So it's, it's definitely a thing about that. Um, Kathy actually posted something about um, criticism. Um, said, I feel strongly about the issue of criticism in the games industry. So I've made a few points, but I will not be offended if you don't get a chance to read them all. We do it live. We're going to read them all, Kathy. <laughs> uh, well, I'll read them all. Um, so this, this is, this is from straight from Kathy in the AGD discord. Uh, of course we have all heard the knee jerk response to the criticism. They're not playing the game, right? They're not our target audience. They didn't try. Uh, they're just jealous. I welcome criticism, be it positive, negative, or neutral, because I'm grateful someone has taken the time to play, think about, and comment about my game. And I'm fascinated by the reaction to my game. Every piece of criticism is an opportunity to improve the game and future games. Um, I think Kathy's actually in the chat. Oh, yeah. Hello, Kathy. <laughs> um, one trap testers can fall into is thinking the person criticizing the game uh, <laughs> sorry, she said hi. Um, one trap testers can fall into is thinking the person criticizing the game knows why they had their reaction. Sometimes players cannot really identify the reasons for their feelings about the game and testers need to be very insightful, um, which is something a little bit uh, that Celia kind of covered about, you know, recording the um, playtest. We've definitely had with um, Ashy Ringrose from uh, SMG Studios the importance of recording rather than taking their word on it. Uh, and she said, another trap is making huge changes and letting the critics change the vision. You can find out what went wrong for them and they'll fix it and fix it your own way. In summary, when I get some fierce criticism, my response is thank you and try to clarify what led to it, which is really important. Um, and then Chef posted a video 
um, where the thumbnail says feedback is dumb. So I'm going to let people watch that at their own discretion. <laughs> um, he says it's worth the watch though. But yeah, so that was how to deal with criticism in the game industry. Cool. Well, um, if did we successfully build the hype for next episode? Oh, the hype is built. I think we did. The hype is built. For, cool, uh, cool, cool, cool. For Dr. Susanna Emery's big reveal. The scientific breakthrough of the century. Let's go. <laughs> it's legit just gonna be that like you know i'm i'm gonna wear a clock like flavor flav now that's this no well all right thank you everyone for joining me in the cafe uh dakota always lovely to have you coffee's great thanks <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell the chef <laughs> Does a chef cook coffee? Do you cook coffee? Do you brew coffee? The barista. The brewer. We'll tell the barista. barista. Um, oh, we should so make um, mugs. Dan Freer, the the, bar- the barista. Oh, yeah. He's an actual barista. Yeah, he's so a barista. The developer of Right, good friend of ours. You're, uh, Dan, if you're listening, you're now the barista of um, Cafe Bullions. You've been promoted against your will. Yeah, you've been promoted from game developer to barista of a fictional cafe. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for joining. Good to see you. See you. See you. Thanks all. See you later. Bye. See you, Kathy. hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBooleans or by emailing us at hello at LiveBooleans.com.